Great to have you with us. If you're visiting, especially warm welcome to you. We want you to feel very much at home here. Uh, we'd love you to come back. Church for us is, isn't just a Sunday. There's lots of things happening through the week as well. We run cell groups. We've got just now about 20 cell groups that meet in various locations around the city. So feel free, fit in where you can. And I think on your seats there, we've got a thing entitled New to Destiny. You'll see that, that if, you're, if you've just recently come to Destiny Church, and maybe even in the last month, and you're wondering, well, what's the vision of this church? You know, where's this church going? What's this church believing for? And, you know, what's your dream for the future? Well, come along. I'll be there. Uh, it's two Mondays time. We'll be sharing the vision of the church. Also, it gives you an opportunity to ask any question you want. It's quite informal, quite relaxed, over a cup of coffee. And if you've got any questions about the church, about what we believe, where we're going, it's all open to questions. Just ask as many questions as you want, and that's what that's nice about Okay, we're going to turn to uh, the Word of God. We've been going through Mark's Gospel. Uh, we're in Mark chapter 4 now. It's taken s- since January to get four chapters, all right? So, but we're going to get there. We'll get there uh, by 2020, I'm sure. Because <laughs> the guy turned up at uh, his psychiatrist, and he said, you know, I don't know what's going on. One day I feel like a teepee. The next day I feel like a wigwam. And the guy said, your problem is you're too tense. That was good. That was a good, good jokes you laugh at, all right? <laughs> stress. Stress and pressure. That's the world we live in. There's, there's so much coming and going and toing and froing. And for each one of us, we react in different ways to the pressures of life. But the fact is, the pressures are on. In this world with so much modern communication methods, mobile phones, email, texting, all that stuff, you know, we'd have thought, well, that's going to make our life stress-free. But actually, it's intensified it. You can't go anywhere without your phone ringing, you are totally accessible to the world now. Everyone can get in touch with you. And that adds to pressure. I don't know about you, but when I get home, I turn my phone off. Uh, so over tea time. So if you try and ring me at tea time, I don't hear you. That's it. You might be dying, or something must horrendous be happening, but I will have, I'll be totally oblivious to it. But I will have prayed for you that morning, and everything will be in the hands of God. <laughs> so that's okay. <laughs> How to deal with stress. Off. Apparently... This year, according to the United Nations, this year is a momentous year for planet Earth. And this is the first time it's ever happened in all of human history that the, this year, at some point this year, more people will live in cities than live in rural areas. It's never happened before, but this year it's happening. It's interesting, at the beginning of time, the Bible records we started life in a garden. Bring back the old days. It looks like the summing up of the ages, we're going to be living in cities. It's estimated that by 2020, we're going to be 60% of people on planet Earth will live in cities. Cities are a great place, but it's a hustle, bustle place. You can, it can be sometimes the most isolated place with so many people around you. Crazy. That's why church is important. And that's why, you know, if you're new here, please, please uh, fit in, get connected, find that you can get a support structure around you, you can get friendship, and you can grow in your faith together. Stress, pressure, challenges of life. We all face them. We all cope with them in different ways. We're going to turn to Mark 4. And in this passage, here we see Jesus facing a storm. And it's a liter- literal storm, but we can learn from this literal storm how we can face the storms of life. My title today is In the Midst of a Storm. So Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, and verse 35 to 41. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, he rebuked the winds and said to the waves, be quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Here was Jesus with his disciples. Now bear in mind, his disciples, many of them were seasoned fishermen. They knew how to negotiate hard seas. They had been many times on boats in storms. They knew how to tackle the waves. They knew how to manage the boat. They knew how to do this thing. Now, if a seasoned fisherman is panicking and saying we're about to drown, that's the moment to take note, right? They know what they're talking about. 
And for them to get to that point, it had to be an extreme storm they were in. So they were in this situation, it was an extreme storm, and in the midst of this, in the midst of this, Jesus was at peace. In fact, he was so at peace, he was sleeping. I just like that. It's really cheeky of him. It's kind of slightly cocky. I like it. Really cool. But I'm sure it wasn't because there's no pride in him. But I like it. Really good. How can we, in the midst of the storms in life, how can we, in the midst of the challenges we face and the intensity that can sometimes come on, the bombardment that many of you face, that no one else has any idea sometimes of what's going on in your life. But man, it's crazy. How can you, in that storm, keep calm? keep cool, keep at peace. How can you live in the midst of a storm? I guess the first thing I would draw out from this is the first verse we read. In verse 35, Jesus said, let us go over to the other side. That was it. Now, in the midst of that situation, if they'd been in the middle of the storm there, and if all the disciples, instead of panicking and waking up Jesus, if they'd said, wait a minute, why are we here? What brings us to this situation in the middle of this storm. Why are we here? If they'd asked that question and analyzed it, they would realize, ah, wait a minute, Jesus said to us, let us go over to the other side. They would have remembered what Jesus had said. And if they'd remembered what Jesus had said, and if they trusted what Jesus had said, that Jesus, the Messiah, Son of God, had said, let's go over to the other side, then surely we're going to get to the other side. If they'd analyzed that and negotiated that and settled that in their hearts and said, you know what? We're going to get to the other side. A peace would have come. I don't know about you, when I'm facing the challenges in life, that's what you've got to do. You're in the midst of stuff going on, sometimes you've just got to stop a moment and say, wait a minute, what brings me to where I'm at now in life? What brings me to this situation that I'm facing? Why am I facing this challenge? You analyze it. And if, you, if you've been living in the will of God, you can analyze it and you're going to say, you know, actually, God's led me. I'm in the place where God wants me to be. And stuff's happening. But I can, I can be at peace just knowing that I've just done what God wanted me to do. I remember, I guess there was 18 or 19, I went down on a motorbike to Birmingham, the Manchester, Birmingham area. There was a Christian convention there I went to. It was terrific. We had a great week. Some great speakers were there. Felt thoroughly inspired. It was the last night of the conference. And on that last night, we had praise and worship time. There was an offering time. Now, I don't, I don't know what, I didn't have a switch card or anything like that in those days. I just had some cash with me. And I knew that the cash I had left equaled the amount of money I needed to get me back up in the motorbike because I knew how much the fuel it took me to get down. Having said that, it was probably downhill going down. So it probably would have need, needed even more fuel to get back up north, right? You understand? This was my, this was my reasoning. So I, I knew I had this much money left over. But, you know, I felt in my heart, clear as a bell, I felt God speak to me saying, I want you to give that in the offering. Everything. No. No. But so I said, okay, God, if that's you, you're going to have to really confirm that with me. So I I wouldn't recommend this, but what I did is I got my Bible and I I randomly opened it. And there in front of me, the first thing that jumped out, it wasn't like kind of hunting around for something. It was just the first thing I read. it, It was this verse. And it says, if you give willingly, you will receive a reward. I thought, argh, it was God's. <laughs> so, so I gave all the money that was in my wallet into the offering, and next day, uh, I had to get back up north. And you know, I, you know what it's like? You're kind of hanging around people. You think they hear God. Maybe God's going <laughs> to... You even get your Bible out and randomly open it in their face and say, oops, sorry, did God speak to you? Or, Unfortunately, there aren't any verses about, you know, God says give money to the dude with the bike. It's not in the Bible. It's not there. So after hanging around a prolonged, people must have wondered, why is he hanging around? The conference is over. <laughs> Scottish guy. So eventually I just thought, you know, oh well, Lord, no one's giving me any money. I, you know, you, we try and figure out how God's going to do the miracle. So anyway, I got on the bike and I was heading north back to Scotland. And I, I got so far and I, I, the, it was very, very misty. That's all I can remember. It was a fast motorway, windy misty, I, you could hardly see any distance in front of you. It was funny, I found it was, the bike was kind of drifting. I thought, what's going on with the bike here? And it, was, it, it felt like it had a kind of a disconcerting kind of wobble behind me. And I thought, maybe I'm, maybe I'm getting sleepy and tired, I'm just wobbling a bit. I, d- I didn't know what was going on. And then it started getting a little bit worse. I could feel the back of the bike drifting, so I thought, I better pull over here. 
Now, bear in mind, I was still going on the fuel I had left, right? I was just going to see how far it would, then I'd figure out what to do then. <laughs> but anyway, like before any of that, I, I started drifting. So I, I, I thought, you know, I've just got to pull over. I saw, I saw a lay-by uh, on this fast road, and I quickly pulled into the lay-by. And as I pulled into the lay-by, the back of the bike went crazy. It started going all over the place, and I got off the bike, and all the spokes in the back wheel had been twanging, coming off, braking. And you could literally do that with the back wheel, right? I'm really glad I pulled over when I did, otherwise I'd have been off. Then all the problem would have been solved, yeah? <laughs> I hadn't thought of that, actually. Maybe that was the other solution. <laughs> Just die, you don't have to face the, the walk back. So I, I pull, pulled over, and the back of the wheel was going all crazy. I, you know, I got off the bike, and I just laughed. I just laughed. I thought, whoa, this is really crazy. I'm in the middle of nowhere. My fuel's pretty much gone, and it doesn't matter if you even had fuel in it. The bike's knackered. You know, the, the back wheel was whittling and wiggling. And <laughs> I, I also realized, you know, the crazy thing here is, even if I did try and thumb a lift, right? Back, bikes don't do that. If, even if I did try and thumb a lift, by the time someone saw me because of this mist, they'd have been well past me. You know, oh, there's a guy. Ooh, he's gone. They'd have been right past me, and it's not like the sort of place you can pull over. It's a fast, you know, highway. But, you know, straight after I pulled over, I got off the bike, had a wee laugh, then I worried. And then a guy pulled in on the lay-by. He was going to use his phone, and he said, hi. He said, do you want a lift? I said, yes, please. And he said, I'm going to Glasgow. Do you need a lift? I said, yeah, I would like to go to Glasgow as well. Thank you. That's where I, that's where I stayed there. So we got in the car, and I left my bike. There was a farm there. Everything else was fields. There was one farm there. I left the bike with the farmer. We went back a few days later. We and my dad, and we picked the bike up. But anyway, we got in this guy's car, and in the car, first he turned to me and said, so where have you been? I said, I've been down at a Christian convention uh, down south. He said, oh, Christian, not another Christian. I've just been spending time with my brother-in-law, who's one of those born-again Christians, and he's been telling me all about Jesus. You're not one of them, are you? Anyway, right, here we go. I'd settled the issue for discussion for the rest of our journey. Great, guy trapped in car for long distance. Fantastic evangelistic opportunity. Well, seeing you should mention it, and then off we went. And you know what? God was on that guy's case. Big style. But hey, you know, you just do a few things, just do what he wants, and you end up in a storm, and you know what, he works out. And in the midst of it, you just have a laugh. You think, hey, this is crazy and scary. But actually, you're there because you just did the will of God. And somehow or another, God turned it around, and God had a bigger plan. And who wants to live a boring life anyway? So here's this peace in the midst of the storm. Jesus was at peace. If they'd analyzed it really, they would have realized that Jesus had never let them down. If they'd really thought about it, they'd have realized, you know what? When has Jesus ever let us down? When has God ever let us down? The Bible says he's faithful. And even when we're faithless, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. He is faithful. He is totally, 100% dependable. You can trust his word. He does not let you down. The psalmist says in in Psalm 37, 25, I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging bread. God just doesn't let you down. Now stuff happens. Stuff goes wrong. Sometimes people let you down. Sometimes the devil's in your case. Sometimes circumstances are adverse. But you know what? God never lets anyone down. If he's ever let you down, you're the first in all of history. You are special. <laughs> that just, it just doesn't happen. It just it ain't in there. It's just not possible. God is faithful. He is totally true to his words and dependable. And I want to give you some advice today, if I may. You trust your life to the one you can be trusted. You can trust. You trust your life to the one who can be totally trusted with your life. Don't just hold on to the reins yourself. Trust God. Place your life firmly in the hands of the God who made you. Don't just try and work everything out yourself. Headstrong, going for it, kind of strong character all that. It's no problem with a proactive attitude in life, but please, please entrust your life to the God who made you. That's what living should be. That's how we should be living, by faith. And it's, it's, this, it's this dependence on him is the best place you can be in life. Verses 37 and 38, the, so Jesus is at peace. He's, they've said, Jesus said, let's go to the other side of the, of the lake, and they get in the boat, and it says a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that they were nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. 
The disciples woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? You see, with Jesus, peace wasn't circumstantial. Peace was internal. Where are you at in this one? Where am I at in this one? Is, is our peace based on where things are at out there? Or is our peace based on where things are at here? Where things are at on the inside? Are you basing your life on circumstance? There was a king who one day commissioned a painting. He said, I will give a reward to the artist who can paint the best painting that depicts peace. So the artists in the kingdom went away and started painting some wonderful pictures. They came back with different pictures depicting different scenes that depicted peace. Some did beautiful calm lakes. Others did flowers and some did uh, sun setting and doves and all that kind of stuff. There was one, however, that stood out from the crowds. This one had rugged mountains, dark clouds, thunder and lightning, and there was cascading down this mountain a waterfall in torrent. And you could, you could just hear the sounds of this painting. King, as he looked closely, he noticed something, a detail that the artist included. And it's under the waterfall in a crag of the rock, there was this bird in a little nest that had formed. And that bird was sleeping ensconced in that nest with its little ones under its wing. And the king said, this is the winner. You see, folks, peace has nothing to do with circumstances, everything to do with what's going on in the inside. Some people are saying, well, you know, when I get this sorted out, when I get A, B, C, and D all sorted, then I'll be at peace. Or when I can get away in my holidays, then I'll be at peace. Or if I can just get that pay rise and tick all those boxes, you know, then it'll all be together and I'll be at peace. Or once we get married, then everything will be all right. Or once we get that pay rise, or once I can just get through my task list, then I'll be at peace. I just need to tidy this all up, then I'll be at peace. You know what? If that's what you're basing your peace on, the fact is you're going to get to that point, the house nice and tidy, then something's going to go wrong and something else is going to come up. Guaranteed, life always throws curveballs. You will always be doing stuff. And if you're basing your life on circumstances, you're going to be living for the weekends, you're going to be living for holidays, you're going to be living a frantic life. But here's the good news. You can be at peace in the midst of the storm, even when things aren't all tidied up, even when the loose ends aren't all finished, even when all the boxes aren't ticked, you can be totally at peace because your peace isn't based on circumstance. Your peace is based on a relationship with God. And that peace is an eternal peace. That peace, the Bible says, may he grant you peace in all circumstances. That peace is beyond understanding because you just can't figure that out. It's not based on, ah, everything's okay. It's based on, everything's okay. That's the kind of peace that here we're speaking about. Sometimes the Lord calms the storm. Sometimes the Lord leaves the storm, but calms his child. So I want to encourage you to be at peace. Peace, this peace we're talking about comes from trust. Trust. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You see, in the midst of all the stuff, your mind's not on the stuff. Your mind's on God. He's saying, God, in the midst of this, I'm at perfect peace because I'm, my mind's on you and I'm trusting in you. It's where your focus is. And Jesus just happened to not bother about the wind and the waves. He figured that at that moment, it's probably better to have a nice sleep. He was at peace. If you were able just to trust what God says about your future, Even when it doesn't look like it's possible, trust. Peace comes. Not based on circumstance, but based on truth, based on a relationship. I also want to encourage you to learn to sleep in hard times. Please do not lose sleep over any issue in life. Easier said than done. I know that as well as you. But let's aim for this. Jesus was able not just to not worry. He was actually genuinely in a deep sleep. He was actually having a nice rest. I'm sure he was aware of what was going on, but he figured it's going to be okay. And he went to sleep. The psalmist, David, in Psalm 4 and verse 8, he said this, I will lie down and sleep in peace, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. David, this great king, he knew what challenges were like. He had many people who wanted to take him out. At various points in his life, he had been on the run for his life. But here is his testimony. You know what? I'm going to lie down and I'm going to sleep. Because God is looking after me. It's a trust issue. And when there's trust there, you know what? You can sleep. 
if your mind's all racing with tons of stuff, then listen, place it in the hands of God. Trust him. Trust him. And then roll over and say, I can't do anything about it now anyway. I'm going to go to sleep. You'll actually do better dealing with the problem in the morning when you're more awake, ready, fresh, not thinking irrational. You've trusted God. You've had a good night's sleep. You're ready for the next day. Here's another example. I love this one. It's in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 12. And it's the apostle Peter, one of Jesus' close disciples. It says about that time, verses 1 to 8 this is, it was about that time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church and intended to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. To get serious. This was one of, the, one of Jesus' core group disciples was martyred. And then it says, and he proceeded to seize Peter also. Imagine how Peter was feeling. He had just seen his buddy that he'd hung out with for several years. James just been beheaded publicly. Publicly beheaded, martyred because he was a Christian. And now Peter was arrested, and guess what? He probably anticipated he's going to try the same trick on me. So here was Peter, he was arrested. After arresting him, he put him in prison and handed him over to the guard to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial. Okay, the next day, he's anticipating. Peter, I don't know if he knows how it's going to go here, but as far as circumstance looked, it looked like he was going to face the same fate as James did, beheaded. And it says that the night before he was brought before Herod to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping. Fantastic. He was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and centuries stood guarding at the entrance. Suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He was still sleeping. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Like, he wasn't just mildly sleeping, right? An angel just appeared, big bright light, he was still asleep. Still asleep. The angel's like, right, come on, Peter. Peter. Peter! Uh, Wake up! So he wakes Peter up. I mean, that's a deep sleep. The guy was having, he wasn't faking it, like, I'll pretend to be asleep because it'll be really cool in the book of Acts if it looked like I was really asleep. (laughs) It's it's like authentic. This guy was, he was out for the count, right? He was out for the count. He was genuinely sleeping. And the angel knocked him and said, come on, Peter, wake up, wake up. Get up quickly, he said to him, and the chains fell off his wrists. And the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, right? Because if you're half asleep and naked, running around, Right, the miracle's half as good. Right? If you've got clothes on, you can look cool and testify to the miracle. So put your clothes on and sandals. So practical. I love how God thinks about you know, your, your decency. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Lord. Let's hear it for the Lord for thinking about our decency. It says, put your clothes on. You know, some of you need to hear that. Put your clothes on. It's a message for today's world on Friday nights especially. Put your clothes on. I'm thinking of a new type of clothing range for teenagers, incidentally type of clothing range for teenagers, the kind that's really hard to get off, right? And it, that's it. You're zipped in, little padlocks, the whole thing. I, think it will, I don't think it will catch on, but I think it will with parents. So on, put your clothes on and sandals. And Peter did so, and he wrapped his cloak around him. And he wrapped his cloak around him, and he followed the angel. Isn't that amazing? He was genuinely at peace. He was absolutely at sleep. He was asleep. He was in a deep sleep because, why? I don't know if he knew how it was going to go. I don't know if God had told him that it was going to be all all right. But you know what? He trusted. I mean, you couldn't get any more of a horrendous situation than that. Honestly, you couldn't. That is the bottom of the bottom. You're facing imminent death. You've seen your friend get martyred. Now, the Apostle Peter, yeah, but he was also a human being. He had emotions. He had, stu- he had irrational thoughts, right? He saw the scowls of the guard. He heard the rumors that were going around. He saw his friend get publicly beheaded. But he trusted in his God. And he had a good night's sleep. And I want to encourage you, please don't lose sleep. Trust in God. I'm going to invite Roz Green to come just now. Roz is going to share a little bit of her story of how in the midst of an incredible storm in her life, she knew the peace of God. Let's welcome Roz. Hi. 31 years ago, um, on my 18th birthday... I was in a maternity ward um, having my baby, Stephen. I was having him adopted, so I went into the unit with my eyes closed, and I came out with my eyes closed, and I never saw him or held him. For the next 12 years, I really went through 
what it's like to not have peace in the storm. It was a time of really chasing around and trying to find peace in different ways. But I couldn't find it. And eventually, after those 12 years, I met a lady who was a Christian who really saved my life at that time because if it hadn't been for God getting hold of my hand then, I I know that I would have died. So it was a really poignant time in my life. It, It saved my life. And so I started on my relationship with God. He showed me what he felt about the situation. I knew all the pain that I felt of not having Stephen there with me. I didn't know where he was. I didn't know what he looked like. It was just not knowing anything. Through prayer, God showed me that I could trust him to him. And I did. I just felt his peace. I knew that as my perfect father, he had it all in control. And so I gave it to him. And it it is a choosing to do that. I knew that I either went on the way that I'd been in turmoil, like this huge wave, (laughs) um, except that you keep getting bashed by the big wave again and again and you get more battered as you go on. But God gave me total peace in knowing that Stephen was in his hands and he was looking after him. Well, we'll jump a bit because in those nearly 20 years now that I've been loved by my father and known how Jesus gave his life for me and for all of us. And that grows, that grows over the years. And through those years, I did, I thought of Stephen and I often thought, oh, you know, what does he look like? And if I saw a, a child or a teenager like his age, I'd think, oh, you know, that could even be him. I didn't know where he was at all. At Easter this year, I had a phone call from my brother. And he said, Ros, are you sitting down? And I went, yeah. And he said, well, Stephen's come back. He's just contacted me. Now, I knew exactly what he meant. Our whole family did. My son, Toby, who was 20. Uh, five now. Um, he's always known about Stephen. It's been no secret. He knows the Lord himself, and Stephen has always been part of our family, although he wasn't there physically. Well, this was a huge, <laughs> a huge thing to happen because I'd, I said to God, Lord, look after him for me, and it wasn't conditional. It wasn't so that I can have him back because he didn't belong to me. Yes, he's my son, but he's God's, and I knew that I couldn't put conditions on that. And I felt if he's in the home that is right for him not to contact me, then I accept that. So I didn't know. It wasn't for God to bring him back, you know. um, That wasn't a condition. But anyway, he contacted us and it was awesome. So we texted and we emailed and Bob and I, uh, my husband Bob and I, rushed down to Toby and Liz, Liz is Toby's wife, they've been married five years, and we just said, Stephen's come back. Toby said, awesome mum. And that meant so much to me, of his total acceptance, because I know that in our family we're safe, we're all in God's hands. And when Steve and I finally spoke on Easter Sunday, which I thought was so poignant, We spoke for two hours, and I found out that he's been in a Christian home all this time. He has a lovely mum and dad, Chris and Len. And last Sunday, we were all together. We were invited. This is just amazing. We were invited to stay with his mum and his dad in their home for three nights. And they just opened their arms to us. And it was it was just beautiful. And I... I mean, when I saw Chris for the first time, I was, oh my goodness. (laughs) And we just hugged, and it was beautiful. And we went to church together, and that's the first time that Stephen had been in church for 15 years. He has a really godly character, but he just hadn't, hadn't been in church for that time. But we were all together. And I held Chris's hand after we'd taken communion together, and it was awesome. And so... Got our photo. Yeah, photos. That's Chris. And those are my boys, except they're not my boys, they're God's boys. And I just thank God that 
He gives that peace, and I've never lost that peace. We've had hard times. But it's about his love. It's about knowing. I said to God the other day, Lord, what do you want me to say? You know, there's so much. And he said, tell them how much I love you. Because I don't deserve any of this, none of it. But he loves us so much that whatever background, whatever we've done, it's never too much to receive his love. Fantastic, Ross. Thank you. In the midst of that storm, Jesus brought peace, not based on circumstance, not based on, oh, there's my son. It was based on whether you're going to meet him or not. You can have peace before God. Isn't that incredible? Practical example of how God can help in this. Sometimes you're in the middle of a storm, you're wondering, well, am I in a storm because somewhere or another I'm out of God's will? Sometimes that is the case. You see Jonah, (laughs) classic example, in a horrendous situation because of his rebellion. But then here's the situation we've just read where the disciples and Jesus are in a boat. They're in a storm, but they're banging the bullseye of God's will. So sometimes it's not as simple as you're out of the will of God. Sometimes you're banging the will of God, but knowing that you're in the will of God makes all the difference. Because if you, if you know that you've kind of walking away from God, you've made tons of stupid mistakes, and you've deliberately disobeyed what God wants you to do, and you're in this situation now, and you think, what? You're not totally clear with you and God. You know that you haven't got that communication. You haven't got that. There's a sense of, I'm not walking with God here. Who am I to ask God? Yeah? But when you know you're in the will of God and you've done the right things and you're still in the challenge, it's all right because you can talk to him. There's a clear conscience. You're able to talk. There's a peace. You see, the thing is, knowing that Jesus was there made all the difference for the disciples. Or it could have. There was a 14-year-old, Michael Perham. He was the first 14-year-old to ever cross the Atlantic single-handedly on a ship. And uh, he sailed by himself, arrived at the Caribbean after three weeks traveling. And his dad had, sorry, six weeks at sea. And his dad, many people don't realize this, but his dad had followed him all the way. His dad was a mile behind him in another boat all the way, keeping radio contact. But just the fact his dad was there gave him confidence. Then Jesus, in verse 39, we see the authority of his word. It says, he got up, he rebuked the wind and the waves, said, be quiet, be still, and the wind died down, and it was completely calm. You see, Jesus, some Christians, you know, they, they focus on, well, God's with you in your challenge, be at peace. And that's as far as it goes. Christianity is about actually a God who can turn things around. Christianity is about not just a God who can sympathize with you when you're going through some stuff, but he's a, a God who can actually change the circumstance. Our God is a miraculous God. Our God is a powerful God. Our God is a God who can change situations, who can heal sick bodies, who can change conditions, who can improve things, who can bring opportunities your way that that no one said would ever come your way. God can do things. Jesus not only said, oh, well, don't worry, I'm with you. He said, no, no. He rebuked the wind and the waves. And he he just dealt with it right there. You see, we serve a God who has authority. Jesus's words are so full of authority. He says, quiet, be still. And the waves obeyed. And the wind stopped. What a great God we serve. We see this throughout the Bible. We see how God at the beginning of time, he created the heavens and the earth. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He, he created the heavens and the earth. How? By speaking. He spoke it into being. His word comes with authority. Lazarus, Jesus' friend who had died, Jesus went to the place where he was buried. They rolled the stone aside, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And with that authority words, Lazarus, the dead man, rose. Jesus meets the man at the pool of Bethesda. The guy had been there many, many years, crippled, unable to walk. Jesus says, rise, take your mat and walk. Authority in his words, power in his words. And when we see Jesus hanging on that cross with a thief on either side, one of the thieves was deeply repentant and calling out for help to Jesus. And Jesus turned to that thief and said, today you should be with me in paradise. Wow, words of authority. Words of power, words that can cut through the darkness of your existence and the darkness of your situation, words that can bring change, words that can transform someone's life. I want to urge you every day, 
open your life to those words. Every day, if that's how powerful the words of God are, open your life every day to him to allow those words to come in. Get your Bible out every day. Listen to what God has to say. Allow those words to penetrate your existence. Allow those words to come with impact and, change, and it changes things. His words changes situations and change, changes things and gives you a totally different perspective as well as miraculously bringing answers. God's so powerful. Then Jesus challenged them on their faith in verse 40. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? You know, and I love his challenge because it wasn't like they didn't have an excuse. They were about to drown, right? It wasn't like, my finger's sore and it's not healed, right? It was, they were about to drown in the middle of a sea, right? You think maybe a little bit of excuse for doubt, but Jesus said, no, no excuses. Why are you still doubt? Do you have no faith? You know, what was amazing was this, the disciples, we've been working our way through Mark's gospel and we've seen the miracles. We've read about the great things that Jesus did. But you know what? Miracles don't give you faith. They don't give you faith. Someone say, well, if I see a miracle, then I'll believe. No, you won't. The very fact you've got that attitude proves that even when you see a miracle, you won't. I know many people who've been miraculously healed, many of them in this, these meetings, and they've been miraculously healed of, of different conditions, and they walk away and their life never changes. Miracles don't change lives. They, they improve things and they get you thinking. The Bible describes them as signs and wonders. They're a sign that makes you wonder. Oh, there is a God. Wow, maybe I should think about this God. Maybe I should talk to this God. It gets your attention, but it doesn't give you faith. What gives you faith? It's hearing what God says. Hearing about Jesus. Hearing the words of God. The Bible says faith comes by hearing. It's not by seeing. When you've heard in your heart, God, I believe that you've called me for a new life. You hear him whispering into your spirit. You read the Bible. Faith comes. These things are the things that faith comes from. And then the end of this passage, the end with this big question. To be honest, this is the biggest question that anyone could ever ask. Verse 41, it says they were terrified. They asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Who is this? It's the biggest question. That is the biggest question. Who is Jesus? That's it. That's the biggest question you could ever ask. Please don't die having never come to a conclusion on the answer. That's the biggest one. That is the biggie. The world's most famous person ever. Who is he? Well, we know he's Jesus, but who is Jesus? Well, here's some things that people have said about Jesus. Here's Napoleon, French emperor. He said, I know men. I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible terms of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charles, help me guys. Charlemagne, thanks Tom. Charlemagne and I founded empires, but what did we rest our creations of our, the creations of our genius upon force? Jesus Christ founded his empire on love. And at this hour, millions of people would die for him. Wow. Napoleon acknowledged Jesus' greatness. He said there's no one like him. H.G. Wells, British author, acknowledges Jesus' greatness. He says, I am an historian. I'm not a believer. But I must confess that as a historian, that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all history. Albert Einstein, genius. He said, I am a Jew, but I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. No one can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. No myth is filled with such life. Jesus Christ, you know, who is he? Who is this that can say to the wind and the waves, stop and they stop? No mere man. Who is this? Jesus is culturally hot. He's culturally hot. He turns up, makes frequent visits to South Park. He's even appeared in The Simpsons. The rapper Cain West sings about him. His song, Jesus Walks With Me, was a huge hit. Jesus is my homeboy, the t-shirt, worn by Madonna, Pamela Anderson, Brad Pitt, Ben Affleck. Jesus, famous guy. Who is he? The Passion of the Christ, we adore. Huge box office hit. The Da Vinci Codes, we disdain. 
huge box office hit. All about Jesus. Both. All about Jesus. One a bit more accurate than the other. <laughs> you, you can tell me afterwards as a prize if you guess what one. <laughs> Jesus is hot news. He, he's absolutely culturally hot. Historian Philip Scarf says, Jesus of Nazareth, without money or arms, conquered more millions than Alexander, Caesar, Mohammed, and Napoleon. Without science, he shed more light on the things human and divine than all the philosophers and scholars combined. Without eloquence of schools, he spoke such words of life as have never been spoken before or since and produced effects which lie beyond the reach of orator or poet. Without writing a single line, he has set more pens in motion and furnished themes for more sermons, orations, discussions, learned volumes, works of art, songs of praise than the whole army of the great men of ancient and modern times. Jesus Christ. You've got to pay attention. Who is this Jesus? Well, Muslims would have a theory on who Jesus is. They would say Jesus is a prophet, and we would say, yes, that's true, but we would go further. They would say he's a prophet. They would go further, and they would say that Jesus was born of a virgin and was indeed sinless. And we would agree. But they would deny that he's the Son of God. And they also deny that he died on the cross which is the very foundation of our belief. This denial even stands against not only the Bible, but stands against historic fact, historic secular historians' evidence and eyewitness accounts that he actually did indeed die on that cross. Cults reduce Jesus. Many cults that would be apparently Christian would talk about Jesus. They would sometimes use the Bible or a variation of the Bible But when you look deeply at what they believe about Jesus, they reduce him to being a holy man, a prophet, or the son of God in some sense, but not really in the true sense. But when you look at the Bible, the Bible reveals who Jesus is. It says he's Emmanuel, God, with us. In John's Gospel, it talks about Isaiah, and it says Isaiah, when he saw his glory, he spoke about him, talking about Jesus. And when you zoom back to Isaiah, what did Isaiah see? In Isaiah 4, he say, I see the Lord seated on his throne, and the train of his robe fills the temple. See, we're not talking about just a man. We're talking about God Almighty. We're talking about God, creator of everything, taking on human flesh. Isaiah said, they shall call his name Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. This Jesus is mighty God. He took on human flesh. God Almighty didn't wait for us to get to him. He came to us. He didn't just stand up there thinking about us. He, in his passion, got his sleeves rolled up and did something about us. He came down. He was born of a virgin, which we weren't, right? Don't care what they said to you. No, right? You weren't, okay? And, right, and that's significant. And it's significant for this reason. We, were, we inherited traits from our parents, not just quirky kind of funny traits, but also the sinful human race we've passed on, this human nature that we've got. I didn't teach my kids to do bad stuff, but they did it from the word go, the little rascals. <laughs> yeah, they did it from the word go. I didn't, t- I didn't teach them that. Where did that come from? Well, it came from their human nature. Everyone's born with it, but Jesus wasn't because he was born not the product of two human beings. He was born of a virgin. God intervenes. And by choice, Jesus, throughout his life, he was tempted in many ways, just as we are, but was without sin. And he lived a pure life. I don't think you and I have. We've sinned. But when Jesus hung and died on that cross, he wasn't dying for his own sins. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Well, why was Jesus dying? Because he hadn't sinned. The fact is every human being dies, but everyone else dies for their own sins, and we have to stand before God and be judged for our sins. And you know, if God was to ignore our sin, it would make him unjust. And if God is unjust, the whole universe is in trouble. God being just must judge our sin. And the good news is this, folks. While we're sinners, Jesus on that cross died not for his own sin, but he died taking your sin and my sin and all the thoughts we have and all the attitudes we have and all this filth that God must judge, otherwise he's not just. God poured out his judgment that was due to us on Jesus. Justice was satisfied. It's like the fine was paid, but by someone else. Justice was satisfied. God poured out his wrath on Jesus. Jesus took the hit on our behalf so that you and I could be totally forgiven, totally forgiven, and have eternal life. That's good news. 
And this, this is who this Jesus is. It's not just a prophet, not just a good man. If you say that, you haven't read what he said. If you look at what Jesus said, the claims he made were far beyond just being a good man. The claim was they put, they put him to death for blasphemy. He claims a lot more than just being a man. Don't reduce him to that. Jesus claimed divinity. He died on the cross for our, for our sins. And the Bible says that he rose again the third day. And if we're willing to acknowledge him as Lord, believe in him and follow him, you don't become religious. You get eternal life. You get a new start with him. Everything changes. So I want to encourage you today. If you've never made that choice, we're all sinners. We're all filthy sinners. Our sin is deplorable. We've got to repent for it. Turn from it. Stop living and justifying it. Start living to serve the God who made you. And Jesus died for you. Believe in him. He rose again the third day. Make him the Lord of your life. He's alive just now, very much alive. And by his spirit, he's in this room. Put your trust in him. So Jesus can give you, that's where peace begins right there. That's where Rosa's peace began. The moment she put her trust in Jesus. Peace is found in Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 28 to 29, come to me, all you who are weary and burdens, and I will give you rest. Jesus is offering us peace found in him rest, total peace, not circumstantial, but just something on the inside. I'm going to end with this story. This guy, uh, Bruce Larson, was a, a church leader in New York City. Often he would be faced with people who were going through big challenges in life, and he would have to counsel them. And one particular occasion, one man was in, he was talking to him about his burdens and the problems, and the, it was like the world was on his shoulders, and he was, he was depressed, he was low, and he said, listen, come with me. And he took him for a walk out of his office. They walked across Fifth Avenue in New York to outside the Rockefeller Building. And outside the Rockefeller Building in New York City, there's this statue of Atlas holding the globe, the, the, the world on his shoulders. And you can see this great, strong, athletic physique holding this globe and obviously straining under the weight of the globe. That's what some people are like. They've got the world on their shoulders and they ain't coping. And then the, the pastor said to this chap who was helping, come across the road with me. And he took him across the roads. And right across the road from the Rockefeller building is a cathedral. And in the cathedral, at the back of this cathedral, is a statue of Jesus, probably when he was eight or nine years old. And this statue of Jesus has got little Jesus holding the world in his hands. No problem. And I, I, I want to encourage you, don't carry everything. You were never designed to. You were designed to live in partnership with God. It's not weird to follow God. It's been stigmatized as weird. It's not weird at all. It's the most normal thing. He's the one who made you. Is it not natural for the creation to know the creator? Come to him. Give your life to him. Give him your burden. In the midst of the challenge you face, trust him. Put your eyes on him, not on that. Come to him. Give him your entire life. As he gave his life for you on the cross, give your life to him. Commit yourself to following him. Make a choice to leave your old ways and follow him instead. Let's pray. Okay, just, just while we're in God's presence, take a moment to pray your own response back to God. Maybe you feel God has spoken to you specifically. Maybe some of the Bible verses we've read or some of the things that have been shared, you feel that an answer has come for you. I'll just take a moment to respond to that. Maybe some of you in this room, while everyone else is praying, maybe some of you in this room are at the place in your life and you've heard certain things here this morning you're at the point where you feel, I need to make a decision now. I need to make a commitment now. This great God in heaven who loves you dearly wants to be part of your life. And today you've heard how God has gone to a huge extent. Jesus died on that cross. He rose again and he offers you forgiveness and a new life today. And today this is the opportunity you have. You have an opportunity to commit your life to him. To ask him forgiveness to make a choice, a courageous choice to stop living your own way and start living in an accountable way, living for God. That's what we were made to be, his children living and serving him. Not becoming religious, but becoming people who are in relationship with God. And it's not even about your commitment to this church. You know, maybe you're visiting and you've no intention of ever coming back. Although you'd be very welcome. That, this is not what I'm talking about just now. I'm talking about your relationship with God. So while everyone else is praying, 
I'm going to give you the opportunity just now. If you want to commit yourself to the Lord, put your trust in Jesus, then I invite you to pray this prayer with me just now. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray a line of a prayer and and I invite you to repeat this line after me. Then I'll say another line and you repeat it after me. Just pray this under your breath. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you love me so much that God, you came born of a virgin, lived and then died on a cross for me. Jesus, I admire you and I thank you for doing that for me. God, I acknowledge I'm a sinner and I acknowledge that when you died, you died to take my sin. Please forgive me right now, Lord. I ask forgiveness for all my sin. And right now I turn, I leave my old ways and I make a choice today to stop living from my old sinful ways and start living for you, God. Jesus, thank you that three days after dying, you rose again. And I believe that you are alive now. I believe you are Lord and King. Jesus, I make you Lord of my life. I make you King over my life. And I willingly submit to you and commit myself to following you from this day forward to the best of my human ability. Amen. Okay, keep your eyes closed for a moment. If you prayed that prayer, you've just prayed a marvelous prayer. While everyone else's eyes are closed, I would love the opportunity to pray for you. What I'm going to do is this. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands and I'm going to pray for you. But I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm not going to get you to stand up. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. But just where you are, if you prayed that prayer, while everyone else's eyes are closed, can you just indicate it to me by raising your hands? Anyone like that today? Just raise your hand. Thanks. Anyone else? Thanks. Thanks. Just raise your hand. Let me know you prayed. And I'll pray for you. Anyone else like that today? I'll just wait for a moment. If you prayed that prayer, just pop your hand up. Let me know you did it. And I'll pray for you. Okay, Lord, thank you so much for these three precious individuals. God, you know they meant that prayer. And God, I know that you've heard them. You've heard their hearts cry. God, as they have asked your forgiveness, I know you have granted it. God, as they have made this commitment to follow you, I know that you have uh, embraced them and welcomed them into your kingdom and into your family. Jesus, thank you that when someone believes in you, as the Bible says, they have eternal life. I thank you that's your gift to them this day. I pray they will know that. I pray that they will know the assurance of that. And I pray that great peace will be there replacing the the turmoil that they may be experiencing. God, thank you for your forgiveness and your new start. Lord, bless them, fill them with the power of your spirit and help them now to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.